We're back. We're live. Newest edition of Caught Stealing here at Fantasy Alarm, the fantasy baseball podcast here at FantasyAlarm.com. I'm Colby Conway at Colby R. Conway. With me, as always, Matt Sells at The Salesman over on X. Matt, we're going to talk about some spring training headlines. It's I'm glad that my timeline is with you know actual highlights from games that are replaying in this calendar year. And we're past some of the guys are showing up with this or best shape of their life. We're actually seeing the product on the field. But first, I want to give you approximately, I'll give you 23 seconds to shout you out and give yourselves a highlight for your dominance on Sunday around the track. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, it is great to have baseball back in the timeline, be able to watch actual games happening on MLB.tv. Um, but yes, we are recording this Sunday evening. It is approximately an hour after the greatest NASCAR race of all time ended. I say it in hyperbole. It was pretty awesome, though. Um, the race at Atlanta, third closest finished in the history of the sport. Uh, I hit the winner, Daniel Suarez, at 35-1. to 1. So pretty, pretty pumped about that. The overall race was fantastic. Um, but so is having baseball in my timeline. It's been fantastic watching uh bombs i watched an inside the park home run today in spring training a little soccer action in that one yeah uh bicycle kicked it by the outfielder there <laughs> um, so never want to see that you never want to see that not unless you're watching like epl like i was this morning right. um <laughs> so yes uh good good day all around and uh, i got to see mckenzie gore on the mound for the nats looked awesome so let's go and didn't james wood hit like his 17th home run of the spring too he did. He hit. He's had four at bats and hit seven home runs. He's going Chuck Norris on this. There you uh, go. The dude, man, that is a pretty swing. That is. Mm-hmm. Oh man, is that a that's a very pretty swing from James Wood? Don't. He's not coming up yet. They're going to slow roll this, but be excited when he does come up because those balls go a long way. And I mentioned your. Uh... I don't even know what you call it anymore. I'd say Twitter username, but it's now X. So your X username at the salesman. Go check it out to see not just the the Suarez pick that won it, but I believe you had what three other picks as well that all hit. Yeah, I had Suarez top ten, which obviously if he wins finishes top ten. So that actually uh, Daniel Suarez versus Ty Gibbs. Again, he won, so he beat Ty Gibbs. Yeah. Um, Ryan Blaney uh, top ten, so that hit. Uh, my co-host in the uh, Grill vs. Grill shorts hit his bet of Ross Chastain top 10. So we were all over this race, as bonkers as it was. We had it pretty well covered. And we won people some money in DFS, too. So uh, pretty good pretty good weekend there. And I'm talking baseball on, on X, too. There you go. FantasyAlarm.com. That's where you can get Matt's NASCAR dominance. Become an all-pro subscriber today. Or just check out our YouTube, because I do believe the short or Grill vs. Grill was posted there so you could have got some picks there so make as well sure as the podcast out. where i gave out the daniel suarez top 10 pick too as well as the podcast as well as this podcast so make yep. sure you like and <laughs> subscribe yeah like and subscribe all that good stuff that you're supposed to do with youtube but matt i'll tell you this i was up pretty late last night i was playing uh fortnite i'm back on the grind again after taking a little bit of time off i'm back playing some fortnite and i woke up to the news this morning i was up late but i wasn't up late enough for the cody bellinger news signing with the Cubs. It's one of those things. I don't know if it's a Scott Boris thing. I don't know what the whole deal was, but from a fantasy perspective, you have to be thrilled. Bellinger's going back to back to the Windy City at Wrigley after a phenomenal 2023 season. And for him, if he's what, 20, I think he's like 28 or 27 right now. He's one of those two ages, but he's got opt-outs after each year of the deal. So he's going to basically get free agency a couple more times here in his 20s. But uh, what did you make of the deal overall? Uh, First of all, thanks, Lisa. You know who you are. You broke it on Twitter like 14 hours before anybody else knew it was happening. Um, And uh, thanks, Obvious Shirts, for turning that into a shirt already that Jeff Passan has ordered two of. So props to you there, Passan. I don't, A, I don't know why that deal took so long to come together. B, why it was released at 2.15 in the morning central time. I I don't know. Um, But in general, I really do like this for the Cups. This was the bat everybody wanted back in their, the heart of their lineup uh, since basically last season, right? Like they, 
don't understand why this deal couldn't be done towards the end of last year. He was clearly a good fit. He loves Chicago. Stadium loves him. Fans love him. He did quite well. But my question is this. Is he playing first base all the time? Or is he playing center field all the time? Because yeah. he's a gold glove center fielder, right? Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal. They do have a young, highly talented defensive center fielder coming up. With blue hair. Today, with blue hair. Kind of looks like a superhero villain uh, with the blue hair a little bit. I kind of love it, though. I'm not going to lie. I do. I do kind of like it. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong has, you know, phenom- he's phenomenally gifted defensively, and he can help you. He's a five-tool guy. Uh you know, from the batter's box. But the question is, if you play Bellinger in center field, where are you playing PCA? Right. Okay, because he's not going to play. You're not – I don't think you're DHing him, right? Mm-hmm. Probably Unless not. Unless you play PCA in left field and you DH in Hap, right? And if you're playing Bellinger at first base, then are you playing Michael Bush at third base or are you playing Christopher Morrell at third base and you're DHing one of them because their bat deserves to be in the like it's all sorts of fun for an actual real life lineup because there's a mm-hmm. whole lot of options but for fantasy it got a little more complicated right poor, so my, poor Michael Bush I mean, right. He gets out of LA where he was blocked and buried and that's why he's 25 and just now coming up. Mm-hmm. And then he thinks he's got clear playing time at either third base or first base. And they bring back Cody Bellinger. And, oh, by the way, there's PCA who's knocking on the door because he had a 2030 season in the upper minors last year. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> it's fun, but I, I it's going to kind of decrease. It's going to kind of decrease what we all think PCA and Morrell and Bush are going to do this year because Bellinger's clearly getting – full-time at bat. You're not paying him $30 million to only play part-time, especially after the year he had hitting, what, 307 with 30 mm-hmm. bombs. Um, so, yeah, it, you got to temper your expectations on Morrell and Bush uh, and PCA, who I still expect to break camp with the team, but I don't know where he play. like if he gets full-time playing time right off the right off the jump let me ask you two questions cody yeah. bellinger 26 homers 20 stolen bases last year question number one does he go 2020 again in 2024 yes barring yeah. an injury yes correct then my next question here i'm trying to think about if i want to if, if i want to colby this this question or if i want to just ask the question what do you think colby it you're colby. okay so we know that we know that Pittsburgh has the NL Central unlock. We know that it, that first place is already wrapped up. Do the Cubs need to make another move to try to solidify themselves as second place in the division behind Pittsburgh? The other way of asking this question is the NL Central is wide, you know what, open. Do the Cubs make, make another move after the Bellinger signing and say, this is our division, we're taking it this year? we're just going to put the best product out there. Do they need to go out and make one more move? So who would you, who would you get? I don't like, know a, Mon- like a-, a Montgomery type. I was going to say, it's got to be a pitcher, right? You you don't have any more at bats to give to another bat, right? It would be Your, an arm. It would have to top be. Pitchers are Justin Steele and then Shoto Imanaga. And so then- actually thinking of that, could they actually go with Snell or Montgomery because if if you're if they leave Jordan Wicks in and let's say they boot out Kyle Hendrick, you're running a starting Kyle Hendricks, you're running a starting rotation with four lefties. I don't yeah, think there's I'd anything wrong with have, it, but well, first of all, I'd rather have Montgomery than Snell. I'm just not a you're not gonna pay Snell thirty million dollars a year to pitch five innings. Fair. You're I mean, you're just not gonna do that. So um so I would prefer, I mean, he's also got, you saw Jordan Montgomery in the division last year. Cause remember he was with the Cardinals to start the year. Um, I, I would say so, but also the Cubs have pretty decent pitching prospects. They're going to give 
shots to. Like if Ben Brown can 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 get his walks under control, that guy can be absolutely filthy in a back end to start at least of a major league rotation. That gives you another righty. Um, I don't think Cade Horton is ready quite yet, but maybe in the second half, if everything goes according to plan, you could have Cade Horton up. So I, it wouldn't shock me if we get through May and they realize, mm-hmm. hey, we need some more. We need another arm. But I don't know that they do anything right off the jump just yet. Fair enough. Do the Cubs take the NL Central? Yeah, I th- I think so. I think the swing in that division was um, Craig Council, actually, uh, mm-hmm. and the moves he made down the stretch for the Brewers that David Ross didn't for the Cubs. I think they gave away about six games that probably swung that division. And I think this Cubs team is better this year than it was last year. The addition of uh, Shoto Imanaga for one, you get another year of um, Cody Bellinger. You get Michael Bush added to that. I think the catching core this year is probably better between Gomes and Amaya, who probably takes over towards the end of the year. So, yeah, I think I think the Cubs take the division i wouldn't be shocked if it's a if it's a pure three three-way race between the reds the cardinals and the cubs hmm. you must have cut out there i thought i could i you, you didn't say pirates you I know, must have like cut out signing mitch keller to a 77 million dollar offer should like give you the world series but no sorry thank you I don't know. Your your internet must have cut out because you didn't say pirates, but I don't know. <laughs> not, um, not yet, man. They've got they've got people coming, but maybe not. they slow play everyone. Who knows if they're coming? Who knows? I mean, that's fair. Let's let's move on. Let's get out of this division that Pittsburgh is going to win that you and I both agree on. You can rewind it, <laughs> listen to it here and there, but um, it was mid March last year that the Mets got bad news with their team, and that was when uh, Edwin Diaz got hurt in the World Baseball Classic. Bad news came earlier this year. With Kodai Senga is going to be shut down for approximately three weeks. So, Matt, that's putting us into about the about halfway through March. Season starting shortly thereafter. He's going to get a delayed start to the season. Um, this Mets team not good. They needed they needed Senga because without Senga to begin the year, Quintana be- is their ace. Yes. Hey, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Quintana was an ace before. He was Pittsburgh's number one pitcher for a brief moment in time. Okay. Yeah. So let's about pump three the innings there. of a seven inning start. He was their ace. Right now, per roster resource, without Sanga in the starting rotation, they're yeah, running out Quintana, Severino, Manaya, Adrian Hauser, and Tyler McGill. That is not good, Bob. That's that's not great. That's Even with Sanga in there, it's not great. So here's my, like, this is the amazing thing. They they mentioned on, I was watching the Yankees game earlier today. They were talking about why the Yankees didn't go after Snell. It's because the Yankees are one of three teams that are over the pay everything and luxury tax mm-hmm. barrier, right? It's the Dodgers, obviously, the Mets and the Yankees. Where did the Mets money go? Like, if you look at this roster, how is that a 300 plus million dollar roster? I know that part of it is they're paying the Rangers for both DeGrom and Scherzer, and they're paying the Astros for Verlander. But in all seriousness, the back half of that starting lineup isn't good either. Like, I'm not trying to crap on them because I like the Yankees and the Nats and the Mets are rivals of both, but in all honesty... The, the the bottom half of that Mets lineup is not is not good. So I I don't know where all of that money went that Steve Steve Cohen had to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's gonna be tough sailing. I don't know what the Mets do to get out of that. Obviously, Senga's not done for the year like Edwin Diaz was last year with the patellar tendon uh, tear. But you can't like if you're looking at Senga or you're looking to keep Sanga, he's shut down for three weeks. That means he can't start warming back up 
till mid-March. He hasn't gotten any spring training starts. He barely got going in his, you know, pitching, you know, routine before spring training. Mm -hmm. So he's got to start basically from square one. So you're talking it's at least a month before he's pitching for the Mets. And then you would expect the first couple of starts to not be, you know, to be pretty limited, I would assume, right? Because he's still going to be building up to pitch counts. Just think about the first starts pitchers usually make out of spring training when they've had a full spring training. You're still only going like 75 pitches generally, right? Mm -hmm. And he's not going to have anywhere close to a normal spring training. So this is rough. I also don't know where they go to get help. I mean, I know that Cohen says money. He doesn't really care about the money because he's loaded. But at some point, if you go, oh, well, they could just sign Snell. The Mets are at the same point the Yankees are, which is if you sign Snell to, let's say, $30 million a year, you owe 110% of that in luxury tax, which means Snell becomes a $63 million a year pitcher. Same with Montgomery. If you sign Montgomery for like $20 million, he becomes a $42 million a year pitcher, basically. Mm-hmm. That's pretty hard to swallow from, from those two guys. So is rough right now. I am dropping Senga decently far in drafts. Like, I didn't really like him as an ace of the Mets staff to begin with. And now he's got the thing. And we also don't know how well it's going to hold up. Right. Do we trust, like, do you trust the Mets training staff to adequately diagnose an injury at this point? There's significant questions. I I have a league where Sango is going to be one of my keepers. I've now swapped it for Cole Reagans. Can't blame you. That guy's like I, electric. Yeah, we'll talk about him in a little bit. But looking at the Mets per, I don't know actually how you pronounce this site. If it's Spotrack or Spotrack. Yeah, I don't know either. I've always said Spotrack. That's what I'm going with too. I don't know. Why. Uh, 2024 retained salaries for the Mets. Scherzer and Berlander are both over 20 mil. James McCann, 8 mil and a couple pennies to Johan Ramirez. So that's where a good chunk of that money is. But oh, yeah, right. I'm, don't forget Bobby Bonilla Day. Uh, and Brett Saberhagen <laughs> still gets a little bit <laughs> yep. less, much less than Bonilla. But yeah, I'm dropping, I'm dropping Sango a little bit in rankings. I was actually really looking forward to him to drafting him in TGFBI, if I'm being honest. He was an arm I liked with that draft coming up, but now he's going to have to slip a little bit for me to take him. But such is life, you know. This is one of the things, Matt. When the idea of baseball is just so cool and, you know, people aren't getting hurt, nothing's happening, everything is all hunky-dory, you know, you have 450 healthy players to choose from. But once games start happening, that's when stuff gets a little interesting. See, people people talk about this is why you draft early to get values. I'm, in, I'm solidly in the other camp. I want to draft as late as possible so that I know – as much as possible. Do we know everything? Do I know that what the Cubs are going to do with the lineup situation by the time we get to opening day? No, because it's going to evolve. But I'm going to have a much better chance to know than the day after Cody Bellinger signs, right? And if you drafted two months ago, you're going, hey, Cody Bellinger will be great. Let's just hope he signs. And then you're sweating like bullets to hope that he signs somewhere. Or if you're in an only league and you manage to draft Cody Bellinger, hoping that an AL team like, I don't know, Toronto signs him, and then they don't, then you lost that draft pick, right? Or if your dude gets injured, like Gavin Lux last year, or Kodai Senga this year, or, you know, whoever else may hopefully not get hurt, but it's going to happen. So I'm squarely in the camp of draft as late as possible. So, you know, as much like you take a hit on value, but I'd rather have actionable value than hopeful value. If that makes sense. Fair enough. Let's, let's talk about the spring a little bit here. Go back to what we brought out last week, a little fact or fiction here, Matt. So in Spencer Strider's first spring outing, I uh, flashed a little curveball. We've talked about Strider, the question with him and a little bit facetious, but how long can he survive on two very, very good pitches? We talked about it uh, last week. I can't remember off the top of my head what pitcher it was. 
Um, oh, Hunter Green working on a curve and a splitter. Right. When guys guys like that can add in a third pitch, even if it's just average, it gives the batter something else that they have to plan right. for. So let me ask you this: uh, you might have, you might say yes to this, even without the thought of a potential curveball being added to his pitch mix. Does Spencer Strider break the 280 strikeout threshold for the second straight season? Yeah. I, Do you think he gets a 300? He got awfully close last year, didn't he? I want to say, I want to say two, it's 281, 283, or 285. It's an odd number. Yeah. 281. He was within what one and a half starts of doing that last year. Um, I think he came out a little early a few times because he got hit around pretty decently there in the the second half. People started to hit him. Um, I do. I think he gets over two eighty, getting to three hundred. It's a little tougher to see. Maybe uh, I don't know. I'll say he gets close to three hundred, but not over three hundred. Um, still hoping the ratios don't <laughs> get quite as high as we think they will. Mm-hmm. I think he's kind of a mid threes ERA guy, which is okay with a lot of strikeouts. But if it goes much higher than that, you're going to have a problem getting value. Fun fact. Do you know what the, do you know the number of strikeouts that he had in a start that was his fewest in an outing last year? Number of strikeouts? I'm going to say eight. Oh, no. He had one start with three. Oh, one start with three. How about that? It was against Pittsburgh. Shout out. Do you know what his next lowest one was? It was four against the Nationals. Look at us go. Look at us beating Spencer Strider. Hey, man, That's you, know what? This podcast. you know what? The Nats didn't really strike out that much last year. Yeah, right? same with Pittsburgh. I mean, they didn't score a lot, but they also didn't <laughs> strike out a lot. <laughs> also, same with Pittsburgh. We're, we're yep. in the same boat here. Um all right, this is this one we're going to project a little bit. We're going to go to your prospect uh, pedigree for this one. Uh, you saw on Twitter, or X, excuse me, Spencer Jones, mammoth home run. Yes. The power's there. A lot to like about his offensive profile. So this is a little bit of a, a kind of a two-part. It's not all about Spencer Jones. But, Matt. Yes. On opening day in 2025, Aaron Jones, Juan Soto, and Spencer Jones. Aaron Judge. Did I say Aaron Jones? Yes. Not the running back for the Packers. Rent, 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 rent. Aaron Judge, yes. Spencer Jones, and Juan Soto are the three outfielders in the New York Yankees opening day lineup in 2025. False. Ooh. Okay. Technically, uh, te- let me just throw a caveat. Technically, if Judge DHs for some reason, we're still going to count it. Those three are in the opening day lineup. Maybe that's the better way of wording it. I'm still saying false. Okay, how about by September 1st? Of this year? Of 2025. Still saying false. Okay. I don't think Soto is retiring. Oh, so it's Soto, not jo- uh, not Jones. No, Jones would be there and okay. trade him for an arm. But Jones would be there. I don't think it's Soto. Interesting. I have, a, I have, I have had a theory for a couple of years now on this. But is Soto going back to somewhere where he previously donned that jersey? I, I think Soto goes back to the Nets. I really do. Where it's you got not, a little hardware? It's, I mean, call it Homer bias, sure, but the Nats clearly were interested. They offered him the two largest contracts in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ownership group has added value uh, since then. And I think that before he was traded, Mike Rizzo and Juan Soto made kind of a backroom deal. And there's some quotes from Soto when he went back to the Nats a couple of times playing the Padres that backed this up. I think that Rizzo said, let us trade you now for a haul, build the team up. And then in a couple of years, you can come be the star of the opening window, right? Because by that point, Gore and Gray will have a few years under their belt. CJ Abrams has already set himself up. Um, K bear Ruiz is there fixed you'll have uh joey gallo yeah you have dylan cruz up you'll have joey uh, gallo wood up you'll have i'm just ignoring you at this point (laughs) maybe robert hassel the third up or lane thomas either one but you have brady house could be up 
right? So you have the pieces there to open the window and then it's not barren. Like I'm just going to hang out here for a loser for two years. So I, I, I think, and the Yankees, by the way, have said, we don't want to have discussions with them because it'll be a distraction. I'm not sure the Yankees think they can afford him. Potentially. Which is interesting, but they, they don't, I mean, they signed a bunch of dudes to some long-term deals. I'm not sure they have the cash to go sign extend Soto for what he's going to command. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's not why we played this one Patrick game. Corbin money falls off. Uh, the, the deferred money from Scherzer starts to fall off. We can, at that point, get out of the money for Steven Strasburg, hopefully. Um, and so it's a more open payroll for the Nats after this year. So we'll see. Hey, fair enough. I like it. All right. All right. Let's let me. Yeah, that was a tangent. We didn't expect. To go. No, not at all. I did not. I did not. But I, I love it. So I've had I've had hey. this reason now for about two and a half years. That's why. It's... Hey, fair enough. We'll have plenty of clips to cut if that ends up happening. We'll have a whole montage of of you talking about it. But last one I got here for you, Matt, for fact or fiction from the early spring headlines. Cole Reagans needed just 19 pitches to strike out five batters in his first spring start. So my question to you is going to be, will Cole Reagan strike out more than 175 batters this season? And let me tell you, just because I want to help you out here, over his 12 starts with the Royals, he was on pace for 252 strikeouts over 34 starts. And I'm just setting the line at 175. Yeah, I'm going to go over. Does Cole Reagans receive – does Cole Reagans finish top five in Cy Young voting? Yeah. I like that one too. Yeah, I think so. And for those of you going, well, the Royals suck. Okay, Granky won the Cy Young with the Royals and set at that point the wins – the fewest win record for winning the Cy Young – and then it got broken by Felix Hernandez on a terrible Mariners roster. Not mm-hmm. saying Cole Reagans wins the Cy Young, but can he be a contender? Yeah. I mean, Kodai Senga finished, what, top five in Cy Young voting last year in the National League, and the Mets didn't sniff the playoffs, and he only had a good half of a season. So, yeah, I think I think Reagans can finish top five. Reagans, I'm looking over at DraftKings – uh, sports book right now. Just it's the first one I pulled up. American League pitchers ahead of him in the Cy Young voting: Garrett Cole, Kevin Gossman, Framber Valdez, Corbin Burns, Pablo Lopez, Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Tarek Skubal, Logan Gilbert, Dylan Cease, and then Cole Reagans at plus twenty eight hundred. I'd throw a little. I'd throw a little little change on uh, March eleventh when I can legally bet here in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd sprinkle a little dough on Cole Reagans plus twenty eight hundred to win the American League Cy Young. Yeah, I there's mean, a path. There's a path. There is a there is a path. Um, like there's a better path than Dylan Cease winning it. I know you and I are also both down on him, so we're also kind of a little jaded. But yeah. I mean, there's a path easily. Yeah, I mean, I, I think cool. it's a better bet. He finishes top five. Um, but there's a, I mean, there's a path if he pitches out of his absolute mind for a year. And Bobby Witt somehow helps the Royals get to a winning record. I think there's, there's a path for him to be considered the most dominant and effective pitcher in the American plus plus 4,000 to lead major league baseball and strikeouts. I just don't think he's gonna have enough volume. He only threw about 90 some innings last year. I just don't think he can, I don't think he'll get a full 170, 180 innings. So no, probably not. That'll probably, that'll probably do him. in. Spencer Strider out there who, you know, it's really interesting. Just look at this quick. This is a tangent. I, I don't want to go too deep down because of time, but Yuri Perez is tied. One, two, three, four. Yuri Perez is tied for fifth to lead major league in strikeouts. I don't know if he's got enough volume to get there either. Yeah. I mean, they shut him down after what? 120 innings last year. Maybe that sounds, that sounds about right. Let's pull it up here. Yuri Perez, regular season, 2023, he logged 91 and a third with the Marlins. 
and 36 and two thirds in the minors. So 128, 127, then three thirds, 128. So say a third, he's so young, they're probably not going to want to push him past a 30 innings jump. So, so 150. So, yeah. Okay. So then it comes down to this health, health aside, everyone stays healthy. I can't see Yuri Perez striking out more in 150 that Spencer Strider will in 175. Correct. So that one's interesting. Yeah. Oh, hey, that's what we should do. We should, just start, we should just do a whole segment of just looking at odds and just saying why we don't like it and why we like it. But that's I mean, there, is, there, is, there is a correlation. We should do this podcast, though. But uh, there is a correlation between looking at odds and ADP and fantasy value and where mm-hmm. they think um, guys will fall in certain categories. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of see, okay, if this guy's fourth best to lead Major League Baseball in strikeouts, and he's projected for this and his ADP is this, there's value here because if he hits that fourth best number and you got him as the, I don't know, 15th starter off the board, you've got value. Absolutely. Matt, those who uh, per- subscribe to all pro at fantasyalarm.com obviously get access into our Discord to get to talk with all of the Fantasy Alarm family directly. So, of course, in this week's Discourse from the Discord, we have a, I'll call it a strategy question or a str- yeah. strategic question in fantasy baseball. And I honestly, I think it's kind of to each their own with this question. So I'll let you go first. But we've been seeing pitchers go less deep into games, or at least the majority of them aren't. So the question that we got in our Discord was, is it worth prioritizing the big name studs early in drafts or just waiting later around with value because pitchers simply aren't going as deep into games. So the other way of wording this question is how do you approach drafting pitchers, especially at the top of the drafts? So that's an excellent question. I will lead this off with how many pitchers do you think went 200 innings or more last year in in major league baseball? I'll say seven. Little less. We have five. We have Bassett at 200 even. Uh, Michaelis at 201 and a third. Garrett Cole at 209, okay. Gallon at 210, and Logan Webb with 216. Mm-hmm. And then you had another handful. Yeah, basically, if we count 189, two is 190. You had basically 16 guys go 190 innings last year. So my strategy for the last several years, because this has been a trend we've seen for a while now, um, has been this. I want a top nine pitcher. Okay, what does top nine mean? It generally means it's going to be a workhorse. They're going to pile up innings. They're going to be good in wins because they're going to be a team ace, right? Going to get you a good strikeout total because, again, they're an ace. Generally, your frontline starter is striking out a bunch of dudes. And they're going to be solid in the ratios. Why top nine? Because those tend to be the guys that go 190, 195 innings or more. Okay. That's my base. After that, I look for the values that I like, you know, that get a decent amount of innings, have good strikeouts, good ratios, don't have to be, you know, innings. There's not very many innings eating guys anymore, but it's, it's kind of like, you know, we, we started this this podcast off this year with transitioning from fantasy football to fantasy baseball. If we go back to fantasy football, you want, if you're in the first round, you want a stud guy that's going to give you a base, in a, at either running back or wide receiver, right? Generally speaking, running backs is pretty good comp to this. Not that many three-down stud running backs so you want one of those guys and then after that you'll take a shot on a guy who you think can get a shot right for pitchers that's what i do i try to get one guy at the top of the draft first few rounds or the top of an auction that can anchor my team if they get injured okay don't you know didn't see that coming whatnot but i get one guy who can eat the innings and give me obviously four of the five pitching categories or as many points as possible. And then I take shots on value later on. Is that how you tend to, to look at things? No, no, you go the other way. You want, 
<laughs> I mean, this this is the point of the question, though. Like, it's I, I I truly think it's a teach their own. It's how you like your builds. And to your point, and it's there's two sides of this coin. You want to get, you know, you mentioned it to the running backs. You want those three down guys. What I I find most of the elite starting pitchers, and it's really no fault of their own. It's just because they're so damn good. They're just they're priced up at a point where there's hitters I like more, and there's guys that I just tend to like more. So what I try to do instead of that SP one. I'll try to grab two SP2s or two SP3s and hope I can find an SP1 from there. Basically, in a perfect world, I can find an SP1 and an SP2 at an SP2 and an SP3 price. That's what I'm trying to do. So I don't have much Strider. I don't like Corbin Burns at his draft price. I don't have much Garrett Cole. I just don't like drafting the top-end elite arm. So when I'm like looking down at the board, like I'll... I hate to call it waiting, but because I mean, Luis Castillo is still a top option. But like, honestly, I don't really start looking at starting pitchers until I probably have three or four hitters at least. And by then we're easily past what, 12, 15 pitchers at that point, probably. So that's just that's how I target it. Like and I love taking I love taking chances in the draft with upside guys. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I have a different view because my view is. I can find a bat just about anywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like, obviously, there are dudes at the top of the first round that are there for a reason. Acuna, Tatis, like five category, absolute studs, whatnot. But once you get to about the third round, which is where some of these top pitchers are going, I can make up stats in aggregate among bats, right? Everybody goes, oh, want a 20-homer hitter. There was like 150 dudes that hit 20 home runs last year. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Don't quote me on that. But there's mm-hmm. power is everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Speed is coming in. There was a 43% increase in stolen bases last year thanks to the new rules and pitch clock and, you know, whatnot. But I feel like that because batting average hasn't mattered quite as much, I can take dudes – that give me those 20 homers or 15 steals Mm -hmm. or whatever later in a draft that may not have the 280 average. They may only have a 255 average. Mm -hmm. And I'll take the arm because if I get the innings out of that guy, that's something other people won't because of the proclivity for starters to get injured. Right. So that's kind of my, thought process is that i think bats are deeper than than arms and if you trust your process that you can find sp1s and sp2s at sp2 and sp3 prices go for it it's really comes down to what you're comfortable doing Mm -hmm. i've had success doing the i'm going to find a a top starter and then the rest of the guys i'm going to cobble together and then i'll just get now does that mean that i get as many elite bats as other guys no Mainly, I'm playing in auctions. I like auction fantasy baseball a little more than Snake, but I've played Snake. It means that I'm sacrificing an elite bat for an elite arm. But I think that the elite arm gets you more... It's a positional advantage compared to an elite an elite bat, right? That's That's kind of my viewpoint. Here's, I think, what the best thing to do is in this situation. And this is not... It's mock. Exactly. Yes. And test it. Start off with Strider. Start off with Garrett Cole. Then try waiting and maybe you go hitter, hitter, hitter. And then you come in and you run it with looking at two guys at similar ADP, like Yuri Perez and Jesus Lazardo as your one and two. See how that build comes out. Like, that's what it comes down to. Test it all. Like... You know, I'm I'm doing the best ball drafts on under, underdog. I've liked the builds where I have not taken a pitcher early. That's just and at some point, at some point in every fantasy sports season, you are going to come to this point where you have a hill that you're willing to die on. Right. That's what it's going to come down to. Like you have your what what some people call like your flag plant guy. Yeah, you're like gonna that's, plant your flag. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what you're doing. And you have a notion. Like right now, through the drafts I've done, I'm getting ready to basically say I'm not touching the top eight pitchers just because I want bats early. And I trust that once we get outside of pick 150, 175, 
that I've identified arms that I think are going to exceed value. That's going to be my flag plan. And if those guys are great, like it was with Justin Steele last year, awesome. Correct. I'm going to be great. And if it's wrong, I went all in and I look at the process. What did I miss? Did I overvalue something? Did I not look at something? Like that's the whole thing. At the end of the year, we'll go back and do a report card. We're going to look at our sleepers and busts. We're not going to get everything right. Corbin Burns could go out there, win the Cy Young, and strike out 300 guys. And I had him as a bust candidate. That's just part of the game. You look at the numbers and you make your you make your decision. So I would say mock, test the builds, see which ones you like best for the 2024 season. I'm also a guy that, by the way, does not pay prices on closers. I will wait on mm-hmm. a closer. Yeah. Like I, I, I just don't. So if this is part of that question – I avoid closers. I go find holds and saves later because uh, you can. You don't ever have to finish first in saves to win a league. You can do it by finishing middle of the road, which if you get two dudes who get like 12, 13 saves, you're perfectly fine in that category. I'll draft. I will draft two closers in the top 12, neither of which are going to be any of the top five guys because I'm going to wait and probably double tap somewhere in that top 10, but towards the back half of it. And then I'll be drafting a particular San Diego reliever at the back end of every single draft, because that's the hill. That's another, that's another hill I'm dying on this year, but we don't have to talk about Yuki Matsui anymore in his dominant first spring outing, but we'll, we'll come back to that. But Matt, this week, we're going to wrap up this uh, episode with the AL East division preview and challenge. So of course, in the American league East, Catcher, infielder, outfielder, starter, reliever from the same division. No more than one player per team. No more than one player at the position going off NFBC uh, positional eligibility to begin the year. Standard ESPN scoring. Players ADP must be outside the top 175 except for catcher. Anything goes there. Matt, we both agreed in the AL East it'd be super easy just to slide in Adley Rushman. But we both had a gentleman's agreement that we won't do it. Correct. After I went with Will Smith last week. So we had a gentleman's agreement, no Adley this week. So let's snake draft it. Matt, your American League East catcher. So there was a couple of guys that I liked. Um, it's fairly barren in this division if you don't go with Adley Rutschman, which mm-hmm. I don't think either of us really uh, had taken into account. Um, but I'm going to start off by knocking off uh, the Yankees here. I'm going to go with Austin Wells. Um, I think the batting average is pretty reasonable there in about the 250 range from him. Not elite pop, right? We're talking maybe 12, 15 homers this year. But I do like the lineup around him. He should get, you know, things to hit no matter where he is in that lineup. So that's who I'm starting with. He's going outside the top 175 um, since January 1st uh, in general. That was the one catcher I was looking at as well. I ended up settling in on Connor Wong. (laughs) You got to draft the catcher. I am. You got to draft the catcher from this division. I mean, if we look at the positives, nine homers and eight steals last year, actually showcased a 76 percentile sprint speed. So if I get some steals from the catcher, um, I'll take that. He's got a little bit of an underwhelming offensive profile though. Like when you go to stack cash, you see a lot of blue and not a lot of red which is not very good. Um, There are some issues in that he has the, I'm going to call the imperfect storm of he'll leave the zone a lot. He will whiff a lot. He strikes out a lot. And at least last year refused to walk. So there's a lot of potential risk with his offensive profile, but I mean, Hey, over the course of a full season, maybe he can run into enough balls, catch a little, catch a hot streak here and there. Hope for, hope for, for 10, 10 out of my catcher. I mean, 10 homers, I mean, 10 stolen bases. 10 stolen bases out of a catcher isn't terrible. No. I also thought about Alejandro Kirk. Yep. Um, not ready to give up on him yet. The tools are there for him to be better than he is. And you have a decent batting average when you have Alejandro Kirk. Fair enough. Which doesn't kill you from a catcher. Uh, we'll go ahead and snake this. Uh, infield, I'm going with Justin Turner, the, the old man veteran, but he's going to hit in the middle of a very, very good Toronto lineup. And he's not really slowing down. He continues to handle the the plate well. Uh, solid strikeout rate. The walk rate has remained quite good. The batted ball profile, right on par with years past. Did have a slight drop in his barrel rate last year, so something to watch in the beginning part of the season. But regardless, as he the can, entire Toronto offense had well, a drop in their barrel rate last year. 
That's true. But I mean, even last year, first year in Boston away from LA still had 23 homers, 96 RBIs and a 276 average. Uh, I could do worse than Justin Turner and he's outside that top 175. So that's going to be my infielder. That's that's not terrible. I'm going to go with a guy who people seem split on here, which I know is kind of a risk uh, here at infield. But I'm going with Ryan Mountcastle knocking off the Orioles here. I still think there's enough pop here for him to hit 22 to 25 home runs. I think he'll get enough playing time between DH and first base that he will be a near everyday player. Um, I know that down the stretch, he did not see uh, right-handed pitching very much, but I'm not sure that that's indicative of what's to come. Um, he did have a bout with vertigo, which, you know, kind of took him out for a little bit last year. I think he's over that. And look, the lineup around him is, is solid, right? Obviously they won 101 games last year. They're adding potentially Jackson holiday They're you know, full year Gunnar Henderson here. Um, I, look, it's too, it's too hard at this point to turn down a 25 homer bat at infield with a pretty solid batting average going mm -hmm. where he's going, which I think if I remember correctly is outside the top 225 in ADP. So, um, neither right. one Jackson holiday, who, by the way, you could have fit in mm -hmm. here, uh, just a little too risky to bank on a rookie. Well, and, and in this format too, I mean, think about it. We always talk about careful drafting rookies. You could take a zero. You're taking a literal zero here. Right. At least in your fantasy baseball, baseball you can put someone else in. There's no swap. There's no additions. This right. is best ball with five players and you only got one player in each position. Yeah. So that'd be a legit zero. And he's not guaranteed an opening day roster. I mean, the presumption is he has one, but who knows? Yeah. Um, so we're snaking it. So I'm going outfield. Yep. I'm going Toronto for this outfielder. Guy who used to qualify multiple spots but doesn't anymore. I'm going to go with Dalton Varsho. Okay. Like, I know he got a lot of crap, right? But he's still like a 20-homer, 15-steal bat in the middle of a pretty solid offense that we're all hoping rebounds this year. So I don't necessarily have a problem uh, with this. This goes with what I was just talking about with the, with the pitching. I can find 20-homer, 15-steal bats deep in drafts. Dalton Varsho is one of them. Do I take a little bit of a hit on the batting average? Yeah, you do. And there's a reason why, had he had catcher qualification, he'd be way higher in the draft because a 20 homer, 15 steal bat is like JT Real Muto, right? Mm -hmm. In outfield, it's ho hum. Okay, I don't care. We're deep into the draft here. I'll take a ho hum outfielder who gives me counting stats across the board. Why not? I'll go Dalton Varsha. And I'll take an outfielder who's missed nearly 35% of the team's regular season games. Outstanding. Over, over the last two years, talking about just taking a literal zero. Um, but I'm going to go Giancarlo Stanton. Here's the thing. He's going to miss time at this point. We almost have to bake it in. But honestly, yeah, when you look at his so ADP. slim this year. I, well, believe me, I listen, there's, there's an article coming out in the Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide on the site. And I talk about how a slimmer Stanton could be intriguing. Yeah, 2024. It's mainly the price. Everyone knows he's going to serve an IL stint at some point. It almost seems yeah. baked in, but he still hit 24 or more homers in three straight seasons. And last year, 94th percentile or better in terms of average exit velocity and barrel rate. And we all know that his top end max exit velocity is elite. So honestly, at this point, I'm just taking a chance, hoping that he can stay healthy, because if he does, I will be just fine. And he's actually going outside the top 250, which is just, yeah, just too was, cheap. I was shocked. When I saw the I message called me, I was like, there is a guaranteed outfielder that we can yep. take in this division. He's going like 270. Like it's late. It's too late. By the way, if he puts up the stat line that Judge put up last year in a hundred games, that's elite value. Because Judge hit 30 homers in a hundred games last year. Here's here's a little snippet from the article that you'll see sometime this week for uh in the fantasy baseball draft guide talking about late round ADP targets, but Despite the injuries that have cost Stanton nearly 35% of the team's regular season games over the last two years, if you take his numbers from the 2022 and 2023 seasons, his 162-game average is 42 home runs at 106 RBI. Yeah. Why is he going at 270? So, 
He's going to get injured. It's baked in at the price at this point. He is well worth. We we almost there. we almost agreed to put him in the in the lineup, and then we just vote on the other four people. Um, but I wanted to be different to give you all more. So I may take an L because I don't have Stanton in my lineup, but we'll see. Fair enough. I'll go the pitcher. Uh, you might want to say Ryan Pepio, but it's Ryan Pepiot. That is how you say it. I know that. I know he has a very good ERA. The FIP is very high. The strand rate is going to regress. I know that's going to happen, but he's a fastball changeup guy. His slider took a big step forward in 2023, and I will leave it at this. If the Rays can turn Aaron Savale into a strikeout machine, <laughs> I'm all in on what they can do with Ryan Pepiot, who has arguably better stuff to work with. So Ryan Pepiot's going to be the starter for me. I can't stop drafting him this year. I don't know how else to say it. So that's my starter. There, there's a reason why the Rays took him over, you know, in, in replacing Tyler Glass now. Mm-hmm. They like his stuff. Yep. Um, so for my starter, I'm going to go up to uh, Boston here, and we're going to go with Brian Bellow, the lefty starter from Boston. I had him last year in one of my leagues, loved the upside. Everything I've heard this offseason, he's working hard on his stuff. He's working with Pedro Martinez, which can't be a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like. You're going to go work with former starter because Bellow is, you know, a little slighter of frame. Who else do you want to work with for a smaller guy than Pedro Martinez, who, oh, by the way, used to pitch on that same mound? Um, strikeout rate, pretty nice. There's some questions about ratios. He's going to have to work on that a little bit. Innings might be a little bit capped, but I'll take it at this point because I don't need him to be an SP2. Taking him as an SP4 is just fine. And for reliever, I only have one team left. It's Tampa. I'm going with Jason Adam. I know he's not the locked-in closer. That's Pete Fairbanks. But they also like to rotate through dudes, and Tampa pitchers get hurt. So I'm going to go with Jason Adam, who should get like 10, 11 saves and should get a bunch of holds too. So I'm taking Jason Adam, who's going way deep in drafts. I will take your template there for that. And I will go, I only have one team left and it's Baltimore and I'm going with the Ennier Cano. And I know he's not the locked in closer, but Mr. Man bun, Craig Kimbrell. If Craig Kimbrell flounders at all, Felix Bautista is out for a good chunk of this year with the arm injury. Cano could step in at the very least. He's one of the best eighth inning guys in baseball for a team that should probably win a lot of games. So holds will be there. And because we're using ESPN standard scoring, Holds do count as points. Correct. So we are both in agreement there. And I would like to see Cano strike out a little bit more or have like a little bit of a higher strikeout rate. But honestly, if he does what he did last year, I'm just fine with what I'm getting for here in terms of my reliever here outside of that. So that'll do it for the AL least. Matt, you're with Austin Wells, Ryan Mountcastle, Dalton Varsho, Brian Bello, Jason Adam. I got Connor Wong, Justin Turner, Giancarlo Stanton, Ryan Pepiat, and Yenier Cano. If you are an all-pro subscriber in the Discord, drop your lineups in there, compete against Matt and I all season long, or head over to X, and I'll have a post at Colby R. Conway. You can, one, get your vote in between the two of us in these Adley Rushman-less lineups, and any Adley lineup's going to be us. That's just how it's going to be. And also, you can drop your lineups there, and we'll keep track of it all season long and let you know who who is uh, – who is winning in each of these divisions. But Matt, next week we'll move to the AL Central, which I'm sure is going to be a fun one in its own regards, just like each one of these has been. Um, so that'll be quite interesting. Reagan's is off the table, so that's going to cause a problem yeah. for you. <laughs> it sure, sure is. But make sure you head over to FantasyAlarm.com, get your hands on the Fantasy Baseball Draft Guide, and become an all-pro subscriber today. Get access to the Discord and ask all of all of us your questions in there like and subscribe everything here at the fantasy alarm youtube page for matt sells at the salesman on x i am colby conway at colby r conway over on x as well and we will see you next week with the newest episode of caught stealing